gospel. And uh, if uh, if you want more Goochlandese, you can try. I've been knowing them a lot of years. Uh, that if you you're trying to prove that you've been around for a while, just throw out that phrase and drop a last name like Parish or something like that. You'll be fine. All right, I'm going to dismiss the kids for their class. I would say Smith, but you know that works everywhere. Y'all are like, whose last name is Parish? No. <laughs> I feel the same way. I feel the same way. That's basically my childhood right there. I'm good. I'm good. You're fine. We roll like that. We're good. Yeah. He just wants to sing. That's really cool. I love that. I love that. Uh, you know what I love is like we're doing announcements and there's like noise everywhere. Y'all, that's a good problem to have. Amen. Some of us are like, I can't hear the announcements. It's a good problem to have. We're good. Um, I wanted to share with you in a couple weeks on uh, Palm Sunday, we're going to celebrate our uh, one year anniversary for victory for generations. And so we're getting really nostalgic and and looking at things. And um, uh, one of the things I wanted to share with you was an article. I want to show you this picture. I've got some. Um, vintage pictures for you. This first picture, this is Pastor Joe up here, and this article is from April of nine, or August of 1991, and it talks about the establish of this brand new church. Uh, at that time, it, we, we were called Goochland Full Gospel Church, and this article is about this full gospel church that was established to be like the early church uh, in, in the book of Acts. Isn't that really cool? And um, it talks about them starting off with their 25 people. And there's a great picture of Pastor Joe. And, you know, one of the things that was a real priority for them early on was, okay, we need to have a permanent property. And what's amazing is, like, the congregation, depending on the time, like, it would vastly, it, sometimes it was eight, sometimes it was 25. Like, it would kind of uh, ebb and flow, if you will, like congregations do. And uh, what's amazing is they had their groundbreaking before the year of 2000. Go ahead to the next picture. This is a picture of the groundbreaking. And uh, here's Pastor uh, Joe and Marie with their gold shovels. It was painted gold, but yeah, gold shovels. And y'all, you probably can't make it out there, but just to the right of Pastor Joe and Marie is a famous man, Mr. Earl, in his, what do you call that kind of hat? Awesome, in, in his awesome, like, yeah, in his awesome hat. And uh, go ahead to the next picture. And then uh, Linda's not here today, which is really working out for me, because now you all can say, I saw a really old picture of you. There's Linda on the left with her gold shovel at the groundbreaking. That man to the right, was uh, his name was Norman Tiller. And Norman Tiller was so hands-on with building this building years ago. And uh, he passed away about two years into me pastoring at the age of 80, 82, lived just down the block and uh, just gave his heart to helping establish victory. And uh, you can see some, if you've been to like our men's conference a few years ago, on the left there, you see the back of Andy Clark's head right there. Yeah. And to the right of there, uh, some of y'all are looking at back. That looks like an, a familiar bushy head. That's Pastor Mike McMahon, who was uh, a worship pastor here for a few years. 
And uh, there's Pastor Joe speaking. That's obviously on a property. And what's amazing is this, this group of people built this 4,160-square-foot building. You go ahead to the next picture, and this is our vintage picture of victory. And you're like, oh, that's a PF, prior to fence, or B, BF, before fence and before playground and all of that kind of stuff. And um, I, I think it's important as we're moving forward and have vision for our future to just remember what people have done. And um, I actually I spent time with Pastor Joe this week. Um, and Pastor Joe's been battling um, pancreatic cancer. And um, he's actually in hospice right now in his home. And I went to him this week and took him pictures of the MFI Church Leaders Conference and just showed him the building full of leaders and worship and all, all these pictures. And he was just weeping. Just he and Marie are there. And we had a time of prayer. And it was like it was like heaven visited the room. And we just were interacting and that kind of thing. And um, I'll give you a little sneak peek to next week um, in kind of moving forward this principle of honoring and respecting where we've been. Um, next week in here, we're going to have these blank thank you cards, but on the front of them is the Victory logo in Victory Christian Church. And you all are going to each have an opportunity to just write Pastor Joe and Marie a thank you note. You don't even have to know them. And the children's ministry is going to do it as well. And we are going to take them a pile of notes that just say, hey, thank you. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for your labor. Um, We really appreciate because, you know, we're the generation that is benefiting from their sacrifice and what they've done. And so you'll get that opportunity next week. I'm um, really excited and honestly a bit emotional about it and all that kind of stuff. And so does that sound like a fun idea? All right, good. All right, y'all ready for the Bible this morning? All right, we're in a new series. It's called Encountering Jesus. Would y'all say Encountering Jesus? And uh, I'm going to read to you out of John chapter 4, verses 29 and 30, and then we'll be in John chapter 4 for most of the message today. John 4, 29 says this, Come and see a man, talking about Jesus. Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you, God, for the blessing of all the children that were just here a minute ago, making lots of great noise and all of that. We are blessed with generations, and we love it, Lord Jesus. And just ask you, Lord, bless their class right now. Would you bless our, our ears and our heart to hear the message that you have for each one of us out of Scripture today? I pray for the empowerment and the leading and the wisdom of your Holy Spirit to preach and to share what is in your heart today. We love you. We thank you for your word. It's in Jesus' name I pray. And we all said, Amen. Amen. So in this series called Encountering Jesus, what we're doing is we're going to the New Testament, and we are looking at stories of people who encountered Jesus. Now, this is really intentional because in a few weeks we're going to celebrate Easter, which is the resurrection of Jesus uh, from the dead. So we're just looking at how Jesus encountered people. And last week we looked at a couple people, Andrew and Philip, who were called to follow Jesus and, and went and followed him. And each of them were compelled very quickly to go and find someone very important to them and close to them. And so Andrew went and got his, his brother, Peter, and brought Peter to Jesus. And Jesus had this interaction that was like just right for Peter, right? And then uh, we have 
Philip, who went, and he went and got Nathaniel. Nathaniel is, you couldn't get a more different guy than Nathaniel and Peter. Nathaniel encounters Jesus, and he has this encounter with Jesus that's just right for Nathaniel. And in these scriptures, we're just exploring, like, how Jesus impacts people's lives, because we believe that his ability to touch us individually, but also touch people that we know in our lives. Like sometimes we go, God, can you even touch that person? Could you reach that person? And the thing is, he can't because he knows people so well. He is their creator. He has a plan and a purpose for their lives, and he knows exactly how to interact with that person and lead them to him. And so today we're going to look at John chapter 4, which is a I have a lot of favorites in the Bible. This is one of my favorites where Jesus encounters this woman at the well. And I got to tell you, um, this is like discipline for a pastor because this scripture has so much stuff in it. And it's like you just want to pull up a stool and let's just talk for a couple hours. Some of y'all would be like really cool with that. Others of y'all are like, but I like to eat lunch. Um, And so. I'm going to practice the fruit of the spirit, which is self-control. And um, I'm going to share with you what I just believe we're supposed to focus on from this scripture. But I want to encourage you during the week, pull up John chapter four, read it, find a, 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 um, a good commentary. Go to like uh, BibleStudy.org and find a commentary, read some things. It's rich. It's got so much in it. All right. All right. So here we go. Let's read in John chapter four, starting in verse four. And if you will, just like turn on your imagination in your heart and just like listen to the story because the scripture just tells the story so beautifully now he had gone up through samaria talking about jesus so he came to the town in samaria called sikar near the plot of ground jacob had given his son joseph jacob's well was there and jesus tired as he was from his journey sat down by the well it was about noon when a samaritan woman came to draw water jesus said to her will you give me a drink His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you only knew the gift of God and who it was that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would give you living water. Sir, the woman replied, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where are you going to get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, For everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to her, Sir, give me this water, so I don't have to get thirsty and have to keep coming to draw water. He told her, Go. Call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she said. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man that you're now with is not your husband. What you've said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped. She gets real spiritual now. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim to have a place that we must worship in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, "Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship my Father neither uh, worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming, and has now come when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth." 
for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that the Messiah, called the Christ, is coming, and when he comes, he'll explain all this to us. Jesus declared, I, the one you are speaking to, I am he. Dag. Yo, that's like half the story. Now, do you all know what I'm talking about, about self-discipline? Y'all are like, I could preach that. <laughs> Jesus, you know, he's, um, he's down in Jerusalem, which is uh, south of, of Galilee. And things are heating up in Jerusalem because uh, his, his disciples are baptizing people. So he needs to head north and let things cool down in Jerusalem. So he's heading north, and there's a cut through where you go through Samaria. And so that's what the disciples are doing, if you will. They're taking the shortcut going up through Samaria to get there. And they come uh, to this town. Sychar and, and Jesus is there and he sits down by Jacob's well to get some rest while um, the disciples run in the town to get food. So Jesus is there resting and in this story, you know, you've you got this well and it's kind of like the, the anchor place, if you will, and to the point where it actually becomes almost like a character in the story because Jacob's well has this kind of interesting way of tying all the people in the story together because it's an ancient well. You remember I was talking in uh, the offering about Abraham. Well, Abraham's grandson, Jacob, so this is centuries ago, he's the one who established his, this well. His family drank from this well. It said his livestock drank from this well. So it's been around for a really long time, right? And so these, this Samaritan group, they, they live near this well, and there's Jesus there, and there's this interesting relationship between Samaritans and Jews because um, Samaritans are basically considered racially to be like a half-breed, and I don't mean that to, to be disparaging, but they're, that's how the, the Jews considered them. And there's a long history as far as why that is. But in, in essence, there was racism that just said the Jews kind of cut them off, and then the Samaritans cut off the Jews, and it's kind of like this, we don't respect or honor one another. But they have this shared history of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and even Scripture in the Old Testament. And so this well, if you will, this central place, like ties them together and yet also accentuates the divide all at once, right? And so here they are at this this well, and um, practically speaking, like this well has um, a lot of significance, not just historically, but a well in any town is going to have significance. I remember when I was in uh, Niger, Africa with um, Jeremy uh, last September, we would go out into the bush, and one of the things that they would do in establishing a church is they would dig a well. And it was the coolest thing. Like, you go out to this well, and it's got a foot pedal, and you can pump it, and I'm telling you, good, clean, uh, tasty water comes out of it. And then there's just like these huts around you, and you're like, this is amazing, right? But can you imagine, like, if that well's not there, where do the people have to go to get water, right? That's what Jacob's well was to these people. It was the town. It's where they got their water. I don't know about you, but, like, I love running water. Yeah. Indoor plumbing? Yes, Lord. <laughs> right? But, you know, I, a lot of us are on wells, and you know, if you run out of water, you're in trouble. Yeah. Right? Like, if you think you're going to run out of power in Goochland, and uh, you have a well, what do you do? You just start filling up some stuff with water because you need water, right? So this well is super practical, and it's historical and nostalgic all at once. And so here they are, and Jesus uh, encounters this woman, and he's tired. 
and he's ready for a drink of water, and he says, like, you know, hey, will you get me a drink of water? Which is, like, super powerful. So she doesn't even respond at first to the water. She's like, hey, man, you're a Jew, and I am a Samaritan. Not just a Samaritan, but a Samaritan woman. Because it's like, Jesus, you are breaking a lot of rules talking to me right now. First of all, Jews don't talk to Samaritans. Second of all, men are not encouraged to talk to women, you know, culturally, uh, especially like on a one-on-one kind of situation, right? Hey, want to get some water? I'm sure he didn't say it like that, but it's like, <laughs> yeah, that's not how, you know, you don't do that, right? So Jesus is like breaking all of the rules. And um, the thing about this lady, though, is it even goes deeper than that because it's very abnormal for a lady to be at a well alone getting water because getting water would be like a social event and what a lady would normally do is she'd get a few other ladies and let's you know go to the well let's talk about the kids let's talk about you know how are your kids being are you using duct tape don't use duct tape with your kids that's inappropriate you know like those kinds of conversations and they're on their way to the, the well talking but this lady is there in the scripture even says like she's there at noon which is a hotter part of the day, right? And so she's kind of specifically going alone and at a part of the day would be more uncomfortable to go. You'd normally go earlier in the morning when it's cooler. And what's going on is this lady is likely an outcast. We're going to find out why. And, you know, Jesus is interviewing her, if you will, and saying, yeah, you're right. You're not with your husband. You've had five and the man you're with isn't, uh, isn't your husband. And so this lady has probably just been totally outcast by her own community because she's had um, a sinful lifestyle. And, you know, they're they're cutting her off. They're not reaching out. They're cutting her off. Right. And so I, I just one of the things that's so compelling to me is that when I'm watching Jesus interact with her and when they get to that part, it's like Jesus is not intimidated by her past. He's not intimidated by her sin. What's really kind of cool is he doesn't cover it up like, oh, it doesn't matter. But he's not intimidated by it. Because Jesus has come to seek and save the lost. He's not trying to, um, he doesn't want to condemn them. He's trying to lead them to a place where they can receive salvation because his desire is not for them to be apart from him and in hell for eternity. He wants them to be with him in eternity in the, in the kingdom of God. And so I just love this picture that he's not intimidated. I think for a lot of us, we probably have um, sins that we're more comfortable being around and sins that we're like, oh, like, you get the ick, you like, all of a sudden it's more, it's icky and it's like, oh, I can't even, like, I won't even talk or I won't, but like, I just don't see Jesus being like that. I see him going after whatever you think is icky and whatever you think you're okay with. Like, I think he's going to go after, because he's going after the person, because he wants to save the person. He wants to deliver the person. He's not going to ignore the problems in their, in their life, but he wants to give them hope and a future and he leads with life. I have some life for you. Pastor Chris and uh, Pastor Leah were in an uh, internship Bible college down in Atlanta. And one of the, the projects they used to have is like they would told, you know, 
preach whatever, you know, preach the you know, little coffee table, right? Or the little stand, right? And they would practice. Like, you can take anything and make an analogy and point to the kingdom of God with the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, if you will. So it's like, preach the coffee cup, right? And it's like, you know, have Jesus, you'll be more alive, you know? Uh, um, a lot more lively, I, you know, what have you. What I love about Jesus is, it's really cool what he does in this circumstance, but I think he could have been anywhere next to anything, and he could have figured out a way to go, let me point you to the kingdom. But in this story, it's a well. It's a well that just happens to tie their histories together. It's a well that just happens to point out the division between them. It's a well that's super practical because everybody needs water. And so Jesus is like, will you get me some water? And she's like, well, you know, you, the well is deep and you don't have anything to draw from. So, uh, or, you know, so if you're going to give me water, how are you going to do this? Right. She's just really practical. Now, what's cool about the book of John is John writes this book in a way where uh, the, the author of the gospel of John, he writes it in a way where when you're reading it, everybody around Jesus most of the time doesn't get it. And this, and so you see this over and over in the story. As a matter of fact, the disciples come back later with the food. You know, they got their little baggies of Hardee's and are like, all right, here, Jesus. And he's like, I have food, you know, not of. And they're like, what? Where's this food? And he's like, it's to do the will of the Father. Like, they're just not clued in, right? They, all the way through the book. Well, she's like, living water, you got nothing to draw from. You can't do it. And, and uh, living water was an interesting phrase because living water in the original language was living water. But what it would have meant to them is like moving water. But she kind of goes initially to the whole idea of a well, because you're at the well, you got nothing. Where are you going to get this living water from? She's not quite getting it. But then she pivots and begins to go, so if you're going to give me this living water and all of that, like, are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well? (laughs) Jesus is so good. With a good question or conversation, he's like, exactly. (laughs) Bingo. And so then Jesus, he's comparing the water and he's, you know, like this water that you're depending on, you're going to thirst again. But if you'll take the water that I give you, you won't thirst again. As a matter of fact, it will become a spring. And he goes into this whole conversation of worshiping in spirit later and, you know, and that whole realm of the, of the spirit and worshiping God. And it's not about these natural forms. It's about our heart and our spirit and awesome God and that kind of thing. But we're, we're not going there because I'm being disciplined. Okay. So he says, I've got this eternal, this, or excuse me, this living water. And she's like, man. Give it to me because I don't want to have to come back here. And what Jesus is doing is he's taking this historical landmark that is a practical day-to-day need that everybody, her and the whole town, depend on this well. You see that? And he's saying to her, I got something better. This thing that you're depending on, I have something better. And I think many of us in our lives, we can point to things in our lives that we depend on. And what God is saying is, you shouldn't depend on anything over me. You know, if there are good things 
that we depend on. We can depend on our job. Should we ever depend on our job greater than the Lord? We can depend on our own abilities or maybe our success or our our ability to create and do. And God's given us those abilities, but not to be worshipped and not to take place of him. We can depend on our families. Families are good. But we can depend on our family more than we depend on God. You see, the well is a good thing. It's a valuable thing. You know, it's a God thing to have a well and to have a place for good water, right? But he's saying, I have something better. You depend on this, but if you will come to me and if you will depend on me, I have something better. And I wonder in our lives, what are the good things that we depend on? And maybe we depend on it more than God. It could be a paycheck. It could be anything. And you see this, this um, comparison I'm making, right? These are good things, but they're not God. And we can really depend on these kind of things where it limits us even with God. And God is saying, listen, I have something better. There are also things that are really negative that we can depend on. We can depend on habits like alcohol or drugs or food, even entertainment. We can like make that our source of comfort and peace in our lives or unhealthy relationships where you know we, we trust in something that we shouldn't trust in at all. And if you will, this lady has both going on. She has a good thing, a normal thing that she's depending on as well, but she also has this series of unhealthy relationships. That are in her life. And if you will, Jesus is trying to provide her a solution for all of it. So when she bites, she nibbles on that line and says, okay, give me the water. I want this water. Because she's like, just practical. Like, I am tired of coming to this well alone. She didn't say alone. But she's like, I'm tired of coming out here for water. Give me this water. (laughs) Jesus. She didn't know who she was talking to, you know, right? She doesn't get it. She doesn't realize. And he's like, go get your husband. Oh. She's like, I don't have a husband. It's like, yeah, you don't. You've been married five times, and you're with a man that is not your husband now. Can you imagine, like, what must have gone through her mind in that moment? It's like, okay. Like, this just went to a whole nother level. But what's interesting is you don't get the impression from Jesus that he's like standing over her in this moment going, you have had five husbands. One, two, three, four, five. And the man you're with. Like you don't, you don't get that from the interaction. Isn't it amazing how like God, he doesn't, avoid sin but he's not intimidated by it because his heart about sin is sin is the thing that it doesn't just separate us from him it's the thing that hurts us and hurts others his motivation is he doesn't want it to damage people and most of us know in our own lives and histories and things like that we can point to some things where yeah our sin hurt us and it hurt people around us that's just how it works Walking around with sharp things thinking no one's going to get cut. Like it just, it works that way. But the, the way that, the way that Jesus interacts with her, isn't it interesting? He didn't lead with that. Hey, immoral woman, will you give me some water? Like, I'll be like, oh. 
But he also doesn't avoid it. Like, he goes there. And she's a little taken aback. She's like, I, uh, surely you're a prophet. And then she backs up some more, and she's like, well, I believe, well, you know, when the Messiah comes, he'll explain all this to me, because I apparently do not know what's going on. And then, dun, 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 I am he. It's like, <laughs> well done, Jesus. Really good. This beautiful picture, and so much more happens in the story that we, we aren't going to develop today, like, you know, the, the guys come back with lunch. They're like, here's your food. He's like, I'm, I'm good. And he's like, where's the food? You know, where's the sandwich wrapper? Like, what do you mean you're good? Doing the will of the Father, that feeds me. You know, the woman, she runs into town. We, we closed with this, this last week. She runs into town and gets the town to come out and meet Jesus. She gets a town full of Samaritans to come out and meet this Jewish rabbi. By the well, she probably has like almost no credibility, but she's so overwhelmed. She says, come and see the man who told me everything about myself, which is completely an overstatement. (laughs) But when you encounter Jesus, that's exactly how you feel. You're like, he knows me. And he's pursuing me. I love the scripture and. In Second Peter 3, the latter part of verse 9, it says, Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but for everyone to come to repentance. Like, you want to know the heart of God? He's trying to lead people to the change, to follow him, and to receive his grace and his forgiveness so they can have the new life. Like, he's, he's patient with the, the earth, with people. Some people are like, like, why does God let stuff go on? A lot of it is just he's patient giving people an opportunity while we tell them about Jesus so that they can have their own encounter with Jesus. And here's the great thing about Jesus is you put somebody in the right place, God knows how to reach that person. He knows how, even in a crowd like this, to make that person feel like they're the only person in the room that moment. Like, I don't know why all these other people are here listening to this, 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 this Bible scripture that was just for me today. But I'm, it's nice that they're here. You make you just feel like you're like the center of the room, like you are the most important person in the room in that moment. What's cool is like that, this lady introduces Jesus to the town. The town of Samaritans invites Jesus to stay. He stays there two days, and it says that many came to believe. He's breaking all the rules. Going places no one would go. I wonder what like those two days were like for the disciples. Like walking around going, ew, what are you doing, right? Don't worry, disciples, I'm about to send you to all of them. All y'all, to all of them. And you'll be knowing them a lot of years. I want to invite the worship team to come and I want to close with a couple of thoughts. You know, in our lives, we all have, uh, if you will, wells in our lives that we depend on. Some of them are good things that God's given us. But you got to recognize when you're the thing you depend on, you're putting it above God. 
I remember before I gave my life to Jesus, like I had a plan for my life because like that's the way God wired me. I had a plan and my plan was to get away from my parents. My plan was to go get an education and to make a living and make life on my terms and be able to provide for myself. So I was going to go into the Marine Corps. My buddies made fun of me because I was going to be an accountant in the Marine Corps. And they're like, what is wrong with you, Hennigan? Like, and that was my plan. And I got to tell you, Jesus got a hold of my life, and he's like, I got a different plan. It wasn't a bad plan. It just wasn't the God plan. And, you know, when we encounter Jesus in a way in which we make him our source for life and all things good, it changes everything else below it. Because, you know, your job is good, your wallet, your house is good. All of these things are good, but they're good in their place. I just want to encourage you, if there are things that you're depending on more than God, would you trade in today and just put God in that place and make him the one that you depend on? And I hope you hear this with all of your heart this morning, but with an open heart, God is not intimidated by your sin. He will talk about it. He will talk to it. He will lead you out of it. But there is nothing that he is intimidated by. The reality is, we're getting close to Easter. And, you know, on the Friday before Easter, Jesus, having been beaten and tortured, allowed them to nail him to a cross. It says that if Jesus wanted to, He could have called down a legion of angels. And y'all, that would have been like a Marvel movie. Like, they would have been annihilated. But Jesus, like, willingly allowed himself to be nailed to a cross. And the reason was the Samaritan woman's sin. Each of those disciples who were following Jesus' sin. Every person that he was preaching to all of us in the room and all the people in our community. He, he is patient, not wanting anyone to perish. And so what did he do? He took all of the sin of the world upon himself and paid the price. Because sin is so detrimental and so harmful and it causes death. So what Jesus did is he took it on himself and said, I will die. For that sin. So that now. When we come to him. And we say God. Would you forgive my sin. He can say I've already written the check. Yes. I've already put the money in the bank if you will. I've already paid for it. I've already paid for your sin. Yes I was waiting for that moment. Where you would just say to me. God forgive me. And what's beautiful about the Lord is that when he removes our sin, Scripture says that he removes it as far as the east is from the west, and God says that he forgets it, which is impossible. But that's how it is to him. He does not hold it over our heads and going, I know what you asked forgiveness for, and I remember that's how we forgive. We go, okay, but I won't forget. That's not how God treats our sin. It goes deeper than that. Because when he removes our sin... He removes the shame. Y'all, most of us aren't that good. 
say, yeah, okay, I'll forgive you. But feeling bad about it, I'd like you to feel bad about it because it really hurt me. I want you to carry some of that weight. That's not God's heart for us. His heart is to take the shame and the guilt to fully take it. He gives us a brand new life in him. It's not a life where all of a sudden now you're perfect and you do everything perfect. But now you have the ability, a new ability to choose the right thing by the Holy Spirit. And everyone's making mistakes and not getting it right. But we're always coming right to him when we mess up and right to him when we fall. And and we just seek him and he does this work of transformation in him. It's this new life, this new creation, this what the scripture calls being born again. And I just want to encourage you today. If you haven't taken that step with Jesus, I just want to encourage you to do it. There's just something really special about your that monument in your life when you say, Jesus, will you take my life, forgive my sin, and let me have a new life in you? Um, would you stand with me this morning? Just close your eyes for a moment. Maybe you're that person today. You feel like you're the only one in the room. And God is speaking to you. And you're ready to to put your life into his hands. And ask Jesus to come into your life. Forgive you. And start a brand new life in him. If that's you, our eyes are closed right now. If that's you, would you put your hand up in the air? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. If that's you today, before you leave this place, I'd just like you to, to come and allow me to pray with you. Because it's the greatest decision, the greatest monument you'll ever make in your life. Thank you, Jesus. I want to close. I want to I shift gears with a, a praise song here in the end. That song that we sang today, Jesus, we love you. When you hear this story in Scripture, doesn't it just make you go, what? We're going to switch to Jesus, we love you. Um, there's a... Um, when you hear this, this story we talked about today, and you think about Jesus, doesn't it make you just go like, yay, Jesus? Like, you're my hero? Let's, um, let's conclude today by just proclaiming that we love him and that's good. If you need prayer for something today while we're worshiping, get a neighbor to pray with you. Come up here. Have somebody pray with you. Let's just um, declare our love for him before we leave today. Amen.